Hey everyone, I am Charlie Shrem, and you are listening to Untold Stories, where twice a week I get to dive deep with some of crypto's coolest people, influential leaders, brightest crayons on the box, sharpest tools in the shed. I got to get more analogies. I'm going to, every episode, I'm just going to add another one on and people are going to be like, oh my God, Charlie, whatever. But I'm here today with Pablo Gonzalez. Pablo, thank you for coming on the show. You, you were the founder and CEO of Bitso, but then you transitioned to chief design officer. Why did you do that? Hey, Charlie. Uh, yeah, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, we'll dive in. You are the so, largest uh, Mexican cryptocurrency exchange and one of the largest Latin American cryptocurrency exchanges. I should say that. But yeah, I want to know why, you know, people sometimes go to become chief visionary officer or chairman of whatever. But you went back into design. Is that your passion? Yeah, that, that's that's uh, my passion. And uh, that's a bit of my background. Uh, before before. Uh, like getting into crypto, I used to I used to make uh, interfaces for sci-fi films for Hollywood and things like that, and I used to direct commercials, and uh, so so very creative uh, job. And uh, and when I when I first discovered crypto, uh, it was very surprising to me the the type of talents that were in this uh, ecosystem. Uh, you probably remember, but. It was just amazing to see like people from all these different directions, and it felt like uh, like some of the smartest people in the world uh, mm. were part of this small rebellion, right? Wanting to to, to change the world, and uh, and I always saw like from the very beginning that uh, like one of one of the biggest uh, challenges for crypto adoption is not necessarily a technological challenge. But it's more of a design challenge. That's that's the way we we think about it in Bitso, and uh, what that means it's 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 about getting the 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 capabilities of the technology closer to the needs of 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 users of people. Uh, what what are the the use cases that people get out of using Bitcoin? And uh, so so one of the things that uh, you do as a as a startup, you wear all the different hats uh, at the very beginning. You do everything. Uh, I did from like the, the product to customer support to the banking relationships. And, and as you start growing, the, the job becomes a little bit more about managing an organization. And, uh, and for me, it was important to remind us what we're trying to do. But, you know, which is make crypto useful. That's uh, that's our mission, and uh, and to like take role where I could step out a little bit more and work more on uh, on on what's next on what's. Uh... So I, I do lead uh, design, product, uh, or business units. So the offensive areas uh, at the company, but uh, very focused on the strategy, the vision, and 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 how uh, we we want to redefine the way that people interact with their money. So that's that's why. Uh, that's why the, the change uh, earlier on. If you look at a, an American-based company, Canadian-based crypto company, a lot of them, you look at the demographic of the user. Still, even today, a lot of it is speculation. Investment, digital hedge, you know, savings for the future. Whereas your average customer, I'm going to assume, and tell me if I'm wrong, I feel like in Latin America, there's more of a use case for crypto. They're actually using it 
And it's not like savings and speculation, but I feel like your average customer who may call customer service or need some help with their account is actually using Bitcoin for its one of its intended purposes, not like just speculation, holding and trading. Exactly. And, and that's, that's why we, we chose uh, Latin America. We thought it was a perfect uh, place for impact opportunity on uh, the use of these technologies. So rather than it being uh, like a good store of value or a, or a, in a way like a millennial savings account, a millennial uh, savings like, account. I like that. You know, like we've seen, uh, we do see really interesting use cases and it changes from country to country. So uh, we started in Mexico because, well, the, the entire idea like started because uh, we, we believe that you could teletransport money like across the world uh, very easily and cheaply. So it poised a really great opportunity for emittances. And uh, and that's that's still like that's still the case, but we realize that if you didn't have a place where you could buy, hold, uh, sell, and send uh, these cryptocurrencies that connects your traditional like your reality with the with this crypto economy, it would be very difficult to power up use cases like remittances. So in Mexico, interestingly enough, uh, we we've, we've been working on that from the very beginning. And it's been very difficult, uh, Charlie, just to understand uh, how how people would actually use crypto to to send money, and if it's actually better than the the uh, what's existing, like what what exists. And a lot of our users in Mexico use us for international payments and remittances. Uh, we're the largest corridor for remittances. It's the U.S. to Mexico, and we're processing five to seven percent of that volume. Wow! So. This is not uh, just like prices going up and I want to buy some Bitcoin because I want to get rich. It's, uh, you know, like families receiving money that they need for the next uh, month or two months. They go to the store, get their cash, and they don't necessarily like need to understand how Bitcoin works or like what's the security behind Bitcoin or all these different things, they just get more cash. They know that it was more convenient, that it was safer, that it was uh, uh, a lot more transparent. So, so that's that's quite interesting. We're seeing the remittance use case in Mexico, as well as the payments use case for for e-commerce, because the the credit card networks not not the it's not the same as the U.S. All right. So you you have like a huge portion of the world that has very similar culture, very similar, almost very similar language. And you guys, and, and, you know, I'm not just talking about Latin America. I'm talking about the Spanish speaking countries all over the world. It's fractured. Like you said, your credit card networks are fractured. The remittance networks are fractured. And a lot of it's due to just political infighting over the years and blah, 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 and just not really like focusing on tech. We have the same problem here, like state by state here. It's like, you know, it doesn't all work together. But it's very interesting how, like you said, it's not really look like people don't, aren't saying like, oh, I'm using Bitcoin because it's more secure. They're using Bitcoin and crypto as a whole just because it's, it's a better utility. It's a, it's a better one. It's more transparent. Like, work me out 
work out with me like the mechanics here. What traditionally before Bitcoin would someone pay to send money from the U.S. to Mexico? And then now, not just like what is the cost, but is the ease of use getting better for someone to actually be saying that, okay, you know, I'm working here in, in, in uh, one country and I can send money home to my family in another country. They may not be tech savvy to understand how to like get that money and pay their bills with it. Exactly. Uh, the, the cost, for example, the U.S. to Mexico is one of the most efficient corridors just because of volume. It has a okay, lot that's of good to know. Got it. It's, it's quite efficient. And even with those efficiencies, Charlie, it can range from 5% to 20%. What? What's an inefficient corridor? Like, what's a lot? Where are people sending? Like, what's a corridor that's that's that I don't that we don't know about? Like, Ray from Paxful told me that uh, he's like Nigeria to I think it was like Russia is a crazy corridor. He told me for him Nigeria to South Africa it's pretty big. Uh, Brazil to Argentina is pretty big. Uh, there's there's all these exotic corridors in a way that are extremely inefficient. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of them. Like, there's countries like India, Philippines, uh, Colombia, Mexico, uh, the Dominican Republic that process a lot of remittances. An interesting corridor, it's, it's Cuba. It actually processes a lot of volume. And, uh, and as you can imagine, that's ridiculously inefficient. But even in Mexico, with inefficiencies, it's still ridiculous, like very expensive, right? So, uh, so we, when we launched, we, we were a little bit naive, right? We were thinking, well, you know, we're just going to make it cheaper because you get, you get to use Bitcoin and, uh, or some other crypto. And, uh, and people are going to love it. And the reality that a lot of these people that are sending money back to their family yeah. members, they care a lot more about convenience and security. You know, they want to make sure yeah. that the money arrives to their relatives. And, and in their minds, for a lot of these, these users, it's actually cheap to pay 10% to send money back home, which is crazy to me, right? Wow. It's like a tax in a way. Yeah. It's like, you know, people are like, well, like they're like delivering money to my family and they get to eat. So I should pay for that service. But when you look at what's really happening, it's pretty silly and it's a crime in a way to charge that much money to to a lot of these people where we're entire uh, you know like might be the money that a bunch of people have to eat for an entire month right so we've been able to lower that substantially uh, most of most of the flow that we're doing we're doing with money transmitters so existing money transmitters this means uh, like moneygrams of the world or uh, other different money transmitters. And we provide a service uh, for them to convert US dollars to pesos and reflect those savings to, to their users. But we're also working on the front end side, uh, which is very difficult. You mentioned the US, it's regulated on a state by state basis. Yeah. So th there's a lot of complexities, and most of them have to do with uh, regulation as well as education and onboarding but we've seen that flow grow quite a bit i could just imagine you uh coming into before the space you're working on games like resident evil and fifa and things like that and now you get into crypto and then uh you're running this very very 
public, you know, very, very public, high-profile company dealing with compliance, regulations, legalities, accounting, customer supporting. You're like, shit, I just want to go back and design soccer games again. I just go back to chief design officer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, I can imagine in my head. <laughs> it's true. Uh, you, you cannot really see what I have a bunch of gray hair. <laughs> before we just we, we started working and suddenly like it just mm. it just uh, appeared so so yeah it's 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 a uh, it's a difficult i mean you've seen it right like it's, yeah it's, you have to deal with banks some are friendly some are extremely hostile so our regulators as well like similar thing uh there's entire cybersecurity part which is complex for for an exchange business uh there's many many things there's a thousand things that can go wrong and uh and yes in a way it's it's not been uh it hasn't been an easy road in terms of like what exists today as bit so uh you know we have over 200 people in more than 24 countries wow. uh, working for the company we have a uh, uh, we we just raced around. Where we we have more than a million customers in wow. countries like Mexico, Argentina. We're opening Brazil. Like there's a lot of things, but the road to get to this point has been a tough road, uh, and it's it's more to do with uh, us being very hard headed and believing on on something more than I, mean, I just want to make a high profile company. Like obviously that's sure. not what drives us. Uh, you know, we, we do believe on on globalizing people's money in Latin America. Uh, we, we can talk about that. Argentina is fascinating. It's another place where we're seeing most of the growth. And, uh, and there's... It's very interesting to see what effects this have on people, right? When we enable access to, to a fairer financial system for people that were unlucky to be born on a place that has uh, not a great currency and not a great financial system, which is pretty much most of Latin America, right? Okay, so so Latin America, you're talking about amazing people, amazing culture, amazing food, brilliance, great real estate, land value, amazing foreign investment opportunities. But because of the fractured government and the fractured currencies, it's been very difficult to do. What is the utility of Bitcoin, but also stable coins on these foreign offerings? Do you see the utility of stable coins and Bitcoin as opening up foreign investment opportunities from Latin Americans into Western countries or like not Western countries, like the U.S., Canada, Western Europe, and then also like Western Europe, U.S. and Canada into Latin America? Definitely. I think, uh, I mean, some of these are pretty big economies, right? And they're highly traded currencies, like the Mexican peso or the Brazilian real. And there's a lot of value being created, but there's a lot of issues as well. Uh, fractured governments, you mentioned, there's corruption, there's, uh, you know, which is getting better, but still, uh, it's, it's are, are all these growth, uh, all these things that are stopping growth? On, on the region. And you're right. Like, you know, like we're seeing, for example, a lot of growth on treasuries for companies that are hedging uh, their 
their treasuries with US dollars using stable coins, and then uh, getting some interest on those US dollars. And it's, it's, it's a big enabler when you're not able to do that as, uh, you know, as a company in Mexico, not because the regulation prohibits it or anything like that, but because the banking system is not actually serving those needs it's, for those companies. It's, it's a crazy thing to fathom, actually. With stable coins, anyone in the world without needing permission can have access to exposure to any global currency. It's, a, it's crazy. A Mexican company right now can open up and without needing permission can hold 10,000 US dollars on its books as a hedge against its own currency or whatever, or an Argentinian company or whatever. It's crazy. It's crazy. But, uh, but I think that's, that's a part of, uh, you know, giving, giving them a fair ground to, to play in, right? Like being able to like interact with currencies that are yeah, actually better. So important. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's quite interesting as well. Like something we've seen, it's a lot of uh, venture capital. Uh, with us. So the capital might be in the US or might be somewhere else. And, uh, and they use it to fund their entrepreneurs because uh, funding their entrepreneurs is difficult. Uh, so you, they're using, you know, crypto to send the money and, and, and fund different promising uh, companies in the region that are not even crypto companies. Yeah. Uh, there's, uh, we've seen a lot as well. You, you mentioned real estate. So large transactions where they're using a stable coin to, to actually settle the transaction, right? So the, there's a lot of use cases for, for like removing friction, I think, on how people can trade globally, yeah. uh, transact with the world. Whereas if you're an Argentine freelancer, there's really no more, much options for you to, to, to trade someone in another country for a service that you offer or things like that. And, uh, and it's just fascinating. Uh, one, one of the most exciting things about Pizza Charlie is the amount of things that we see happening and the use cases of like why people are getting into this. And suddenly we start seeing something like DAI uh, grow crazy in Argentina. And, uh, and it's just fascinating to see all these Argentines getting their paycheck, uh, converting it to DAI, and then using it not to not to like not only to save, but uh, they actually were use the word survival. They use it to survive, right? Wow. Converting dollars. So 75 percent of the bank accounts in, in Argentina empty during the day of paycheck. Wow! That's so people get insane. yeah, people get their paycheck. They go to the ATMs, to the bank branches. Uh, they empty their accounts. Well, they pay whatever they need to pay. And yeah. Whatever they have remaining, they take it out. And then they have like a US dollar dealer on the street. It's super common. Yeah. Uh, they get dollars and then they go back to the banks and put them in uh, the safety deposit boxes. So there's a crisis of... No, not enough safety deposit boxes. What? Aren't people afraid that the government can come and just say all safety deposit boxes are like nationalized or something? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's 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 pretty dangerous to keep it at home as well, right? Yeah. But uh, they're more afraid of the government setting up rules on uh, bank accounts. Yeah. Like you can only withdraw $20 a day or something like that, uh, which it happens. Like, you'd be surprised, but it happens pretty often. Uh, and then, like, them, you know, like, Get, like getting their hands on safe deposit boxes. So, yeah. but it's just it's just really strange, right? When you see that that behavior, and right now what we've seen is that that whenever they get Argentine pesos, they convert them to something like Dai, or they get them into a USDC type of a stable coin, uh, or even Bitcoin, uh, which is like as 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 volatile as it might be, it's. Less volatile than the Argentine peso or something. <laughs> yes, exactly. I have a yeah a question that's not part of like my research, but I'm just curious. Um, like you hear, I hear a lot of I have a lot of friends in Argentina and everything, and they 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 tell me the same thing. They they have a a, a dealer that they know that is their like peso to dollar uh, dealer. What is that? Is that like some like drug dealer on the corner or is it someone you call? Is there, is it an industry where a website with a logo like black market dollar dealers, like what's that industry like? Is it a, it's probably like a trillion dollar, no, like a crazy multi-billion dollar industry in just in Argentina itself. But like, what's that? How do you know if you're getting a good rate? Is that, do they compete with each other? Are there radio commercials? Like, Hey, you know, like we give you a special on Fridays or whatever. This is word of the mouth. Really? Yeah. It's crazy. It's a massive, massive industry. There's, there's these things called cuevas. And uh, cuevas is basically like uh, a place in a residential building or an office building. And you walk in and they do effects. Like they sell you dollars. Uh, so it's like an exchange house, but it's not licensed, regulated. It's just in, an, in a building. How do they exist then? Well, people, it's word of mouth. Like, people know, like, oh, well, I have a They work really well. They're trustworthy, blah, 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 blah. And then they just go in with a bunch of cash, and they come out with a bunch of, like, they come out with a bunch of dollars. And uh, and it's it's almost like out of a movie, uh, going to one of those cuevas. But people people are, uh, I'm not an Argentine, but, uh, sure. but people are used to it. Like, it's it's a thing, and uh, and they, they build a reputation, I guess, a lot of these cuevas or these mm. uh, dollar dealers. Uh, if you you you've been to Argentina, I don't know if you went to the yep. Buenos Aires to the microcentro, but there's yep. these guys on the street, like saying cambios, cambios, mm -hmm. and you're like, what's going on? Like, are they trying to like sell me drugs or or dollars? And uh, and they basically like are people with dollars that will sell you for for a spread with this black market rate. Yeah, so it's a, it's a massive industry, but it's you know as you say, like it's highly insecure. It's not uh, there's nothing there's no consumer protection about it other than uh, like that's you, another thing. Yeah, you don't know what the consumer protection's like. You can get screwed. It's a at least like in places like uh, I know in China, when there's a law and there's a loophole, they regulate the loopholes instead of trying to shut it down. So they would cre like create a regulate. So like there's a, a way to move money 
from Hong Kong, Macau to mainland China through a junket system. And it's pretty efficient, but and it, 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 the way it works is, is, is a little bit different in that you walk into a place in China and you say, I, I love this sculpture. How much does it cost? And they say a million dollars and you give them, well, not a million dollars, like, you know, a million renminbi or whatever it is. And you buy it and then you actually don't, you leave it at layaway, layaway. And then you go to Macau to the casino and the store has this, another store. It's the same owner. And then you say, oh, I actually want to return that sculpture for my money back right now. And they give it to you minus a, a restocking fee of 20%. So you get your money out in Macau. And then the, oh, oh. the Chinese government knows about this and they just issued licenses to a certain amount of these junkets. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's... it's it's not a bad idea, to be honest. To, to no, it's smart for the government to do that. It's because then it's just a game of whack-a-mole. You you hit one and another one pops up somewhere else. What's the point? Exactly. No, no, the thing I was going to say is these cuevas, like the, the the local politicians and the police are using them too. That's why they're not getting shut down. A policeman is in, or a woman is same situation. He's get paid. He's got to feed his family. He withdraws his money. It's the same type of situation. So this it's it's a and that's what people need to realize. It's not a certain type of person or it's a certain uh, demographic or it's like rich, poor. It's, it's everyone. The politicians really? are doing it themselves. So that's what's happening here. It's, so that's why like cryptocurrency is such a fair system because it doesn't ask your name or your sexual preference or your religion or where you're from or who you are. It doesn't matter when you're in crypto. It doesn't that, that really like, it doesn't care. Like you could be a brilliant designer or a programmer from India, uh, uh, Silicon Valley or Mexico, and you're being judged by your talents and your ability, not by all these other things. And that's really like why I love this industry so much. Yeah, no, I, I, I 100% agree. Uh, and, 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 you know, the, the reason why they use it as well is because, you know, if, if I have a 2000 Argentine pesos, uh, and I have no other alternatives. Like, I don't, I wouldn't use the Cuevas, but if there's no other choice, there's no alternatives. And, and my money is going to go to to shed in the next couple of weeks. I'll just go and use those, uh, you know, th those things. Uh, it's, it's, it's quite interesting. There's another thing called uh, Contado con Liqui, which is basically you're buying US bonds. There's a way for you to buy US bonds. And then redeem them uh, from Argentina uh, at a markup, a big markup, and then redeem them in a U.S. bank account. Oh, interesting! I've heard of these things actually too. Yeah, there's all these arbitrage, but but it comes down to the same problem. Like, one, why is this happening? And two, why are people? Do people understand why this is happening? Like crazy massive inflation, and why are people okay with it? Part of the I think people are used to it, to be honest. Uh, that's that's what's really like. Wow, that's what's really sad. Like they, you know, they they were. I mean, even even in Mexico, like I'm not that old, or but uh, but I've gone through uh, a few uh, ex like proper devaluations of the Mexican peso during my lifetime. Uh, we haven't had one like in the last 15, 20 years, but. Uh, but still, it's it's this happens in uh, you know when it happens all the time. You're like, well, that's just part of the way life is. 
like I was talking to some people, like, well, it's normal that you walk into a store and the Coca-Cola, uh, the price changes every month because I need to uh, adjust prices or every two weeks. And that all pr price pricing is so different. That's just part of the way that uh, life works. And that's a fundamental problem because when I get on stage at hundreds of these conferences a year before COVID, and people would say to me, Charlie, why is the dollar valuable or why is Bitcoin valuable? Do you know what I say? I say, because when you, do you know where the dollar is valuable? Because when you go into a store to buy a bagel or a coffee, it's going to cost a dollar. And the next month, it's going to cost a dollar. And the next month, it's going to cost a dollar. And the next month, it's going to cost a dollar. So that's why you hold dollars in your bank account. That's why the dollar has value. But when you don't know that it's going to cost the same the next month, oh, then what's the point of holding this thing? Exactly. Exactly. Well, there's really no point. Like, you, 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 you want to do whatever you can to not hold these things. Uh, and that's why we, these cuevas exist and everything. There's, there's this story I read. It's not, uh, I forgot who said it, but it was on a, on a, on a very interesting paper. And there's two, uh, there's two young fish swimming on a lake. And, uh, and they go by uh, an older fish. And, uh, and they're like, hey, hey, how's it going? Uh, good morning. And the other fish is like, hey, good morning. Uh, how's the water today? Right? And the fish go like, what? And then they, they keep swimming. And sometime later, like one of the younger fish stops and tells the other one, hey, uh, what? Uh, and that's exactly what's happening. Like, you, they, they just live with it. And yeah. you know, a lot of us are not realizing that there's these things that exist that are fundamental but that we need awareness of this, right? Like if you don't know anything else, and that's what's happening with money, with in general, uh, yeah. And 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 something that, in my mind, Bitcoin's done is to really waken up uh, a bunch of people to the water of money and the monetary system. But uh, but in a lot of these places in Latin America, it's just the way it is, right? Uh, I. You know, we're talking about money flows around the world. Uh, a big place that's very talked about is Venezuela. So we're seeing a lot of volume, for example, from Argentina to Venezuela. So Venezuelans living in Argentina or in Mexico, sending money to, to Venezuela. We're just launching Brazil. We're seeing the same. But most of the money that moves to Venezuela is through these WhatsApp groups. There's a guy that happens to have a bank account in Miami and a bank account in Venezuela, and you send money to that guy that you don't know, mm. just a number in WhatsApp, and you trust that that person will deliver uh, bolivares to your family. So there's these like really, the, these are very social countries, and, and, and it creates these social networks where some random guy just, doing the remittances for you. Like it's not a company or a system or, so we, there's a lot of crypto, uh, like a lot of, like the, the crypto use case of sending money to I get it. Yeah, I see. What, what essentially, from what I understand from what you're trying to say is that like 20 or 30 years ago, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, we would never trade money on our cell phones. Everything financial we ever did globally had to be done through financial institutions. But 
starting maybe, I don't know, a long time ago, but really like 20 years ago, these financial institutions started failing us for so many reasons. They started being corrupt. They started embezzling, but they started profiling. They started cutting off countries and certain people. The whole term underbanked became a thing in the past 20 years. Underbanked or unbanked. And the global world needed and looked for a peer-to-peer global unit of account or currency. This is before Bitcoin. But the world didn't have that. And again, the financial institutions of the world failed us because they simply didn't care. And so what you're saying happened was that people created their own financial institutions. They created WhatsApp groups to move money from Miami to Venezuela. And you know what? There's probably more trust with that guy and better fees and better consumer recourse with that one guy than there is with some banks around the world. And that's what the world, that's what we're moving towards. So it's like a perfect shoe in for crypto to really like say, hey, you're already doing P2P payments globally, but we're doing it with inefficiencies. We're doing it now with people that we don't trust. Here we are. And that's why, like, you come from a world of design, you know, in your world of design, you don't have to convince people to play these games. They are already wanting, you know, I'm just using a game as an example. They already yeah, want to yeah. play these games, but you're just to make it amazing for them. And maybe that's why you went back into that chief design officer, because now, Roll, because now you know people want to use crypto. They're, you don't have to convince them anymore like you did in 2014, but now you want to make it the best possible experience for them. Exactly. There's, there's, there's a quote I love, uh, which well you probably know, but any any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, and uh, and I remember back in the day like using using Bitcoin for the first time, and to me it was magic. Like I'm just moving money. Like, yeah, it's it still is magic. I know it's crazy. It still is magic, and people tend to forget it, but uh, it's. It's just amazing, right? Like that, that you can do it. That you have the power to do that. Uh, it, you know, whenever I think about that, I get excited again. Uh, well, I'm, you know, like I get like a bunch of energy saying, "Whoa!" Like now we can do these things. Yeah. Where before we couldn't, and uh, and something that's important on the design side of things, it's making bringing that magic into like. Because the magic's there, but we just need to like bring it up to to to, to the surface, right? Love uh, that. With these experiences, way to describe it. Someone might need to send. Sorry, I said it's a perfect way to describe it. Gonna bring it to the surface. Yes, like it's already there. Like just gotta just gotta like get it right so that it's it's uh, uh there's this joy of of using your money uh, that should happen uh, you spoke a lot about where we're coming from from using money as cash and yeah. and then uh, these financial institutions but we tend to forget a lot of times that uh, making a payment or many of the interactions with money are the strongest some of the strongest social interactions that you have during your day like uh, oh, money God. itself it's a social mechanism and uh, and it can be fun. It can be secure. It can be joyful. It can be, and 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 when when we're here, right, uh, Charlie? Like we're reinventing how money, proper money, should be. 
Like, why don't we make money also a, a, a pleasure to use? Like, why can't I get excited? Like, oh, I need to like uh, use my money, right? You're blowing my mind right now because you're adding another layer to the fact that crypto is the largest socioeconomic experiment the world has ever seen. Because you're right. Money is, I'm thinking about it now, it's, it's all the social interactions you have, especially on a time when we can't have other type of social interactions. So why? Well, dude, like it's crazy when you think about it because you send someone a Venmo payment, you know, or some of these crypto apps, you can heart the payment. Yeah. Like, are you heart? Imagine saying, I'm going to send you a wire transfer. I'm going to heart the payment. Why would you ever do that? I mean, someone owes you money. You, like, what's the heart for? <laughs> no, it's a crazy thing to think about. You're right. Wow. You, you can attach an emotion, right? Yeah. Your uh, and, and that's important or an image, right? Like, uh, you know, and it's opening the doors to a lot of things. So, so yeah, you could, you know, the same way uh, you, you mentioned ben, Benmo, right? Uh, there's all these little social, like, things to, to make it social, like some people might argue with privacy. Yeah. But, uh, but I think you can still have it private and have it uh, like not just about minus $5 plus $5. Yeah, I see. There's more to it. I yeah, think. I completely agree with that. There is more to it. It shouldn't just be like a global, you know, like Excel spreadsheet or something. There should be like some social interactions to it. I completely agree. Oh, we, we have a a product, uh, we, we stopped it for a second, but uh, it was about sending money to the US. So a lot of uh, small businesses used it. Well, like we were, we were doing like, we were doing a lot of experimentation with cross-border payment. And something was fascinating because it was almost like a FedEx payment where you could track it real time and see exactly where it was going and until it arrived at the, the beneficiary's bank account, right? So you're paying for, let's say, AWS or something. You could just see how that entire thing moved. And, uh, and it was pretty rewarding. Uh, the, the reason why we stopped it was because we had to focus on, yeah. on things, which is generally the, one of the biggest uh, challenges for, for any, any startup. But, uh, but I think there's a big future on what's experience of using your money. And as everything also becomes a lot more decentralized, uh, I do believe that there's a there's a value to add to users on how how they use and uh, like what experience that give them for yeah. using their crypto. But uh, we have an experience, right? And uh, and I do believe on decentralized exchanges will get a lot better. Liquid's gonna get better. Uh, there's a lot more like stable coins are growing a lot. So you can actually like have the fiat to to crypto part, and uh, and something like I I remind our team uh, all the time is that it works if we're feel like we're effective with what we're trying to do, we're gonna become unnecessary, unnecessary as a centralized exchange or yeah. today. And you I render yourself obsolete, obsolete. but then but you're successful. successful. Yeah, yeah, make ourselves obsolete exactly. But then change and, and offer other value to users. Like you need to remind, like, what's the value that I offer my users? And it can be from security, transparency, experience, 
you know, like a brand that they 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 uh, associate with, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. There's there's a lot of things you can do, right, to keep giving value to your users. That is not necessarily being a custodian for yep. your users, right? Like what? Like do you do you see do you see in the future you becoming less of an exchange and more of just I guess I don't know, like a gateway into crypto, just like that, that hand. Like I love your logo. It's like two hands, you know. Like it's great. So it's like kind of like that. You'll always be that connection point for people, right? Uh, and no, like right now we're uh, we're we have access, right? This connection point. But I think eventually we will all be in crypto in somewhere or another. Ah, uh, we'll never need to be in fiat. Yeah. Every you know, well, imagine a world that every global currency exists on a blockchain. You'll never you'll get paid in in a crypto. You'll never go to the old system. It's it's unfathomable to think about. To be honest, to say that ten you know we were just using this crypto thing as a as a joke and an experiment, and now the whole global world financial system is built on this thing. It's yeah. It's crazy. No, I'm just uh, see. It's crazy. It's, no, I know, I know, but I have to. Um, I sorry. Yeah. What are you gonna say? I, I laugh a little bit. Uh, well, I don't laugh. Like all the discussions uh, with CBDCs, right? So you see all these central bankers, yeah, and talking about CBDCs, and and it's. I mean, it's gonna take a while for that to to be up and running, but. Still pretty serious. Like, like right now, I'm like, yeah, whatever. Like, uh, still, it's gonna take them some time. They're all gonna make their own thing. There's gonna be no standards, but that's where we're going, and that's gonna pick up speed. Yeah, you'll have and, like atomic and, swaps, uh, and then you... exactly. Atomic well, I look swap. at like I look at Estonia, and Estonia, their whole world is their whole government, like from the police to the court system to your prescription drugs, your tax payment, everything is tied to your identity. It's all digital. And I didn't realize that it's actually on what they call their KSI blockchain. So it'd be very trivial for them to just move their whole, well, they don't have a currency because it's the euro, but if they did have their own currency, they could move it over onto just their blockchain trivially, like five minutes. It's crazy. But Pablo, um, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me, Charlie.